What's your secret? Welcome back to another week of Beyond the Secret. My name is Ace Fanning, and here I am with another parter episode. I'm calling it a parter because as of right now, I don't even know how many parts this story will be. Realistically, it could be three parts. But I still need to make a decision whether or not I do that or just give you one really long part two. I don't know. There is just a lot of story here and... I'm excited for you guys to hear it. And and there's even more story because I'm actually planning on asking her to come back and do a live Q&A for Patreon because I know that there are still going to be questions. So we'll see. Uh, really quick, before we get into this episode, as you know, because I have told you, a million times already. March is my birthday month. And in case you wanted to get me anything, I have two gift ideas. First, I am about 100 reviews away from 1,000 reviews. But I only want five-star reviews. Again, I don't know how many times I have to say this. I am too fragile for honest feedback. Just keep it right to yourself. Just shove it on down your throat and your gullet and don't ever share it with me. I'm good not knowing. Just fluff me up. Uh, And then the second gift is I would love if you guys would just once share with your followers on Instagram or Facebook or wherever. Just share with them beyond the secret. If you love it, you know, let them know you love it. That's it. You know, that's that's how these things build is word of mouth. I'm not going to pay for advertising or anything like that. Just that's what you have to do. So if you guys would share, that'd be a really great present. But, of course, it's fine if you don't want to do either of those things. I will forgive you. But I figured I would at least, you know, toss the idea out there. Anyways, that's enough. Because we've got a long episode today. This week's secret, The Cult, Part 1. Walk me through what your family looked like when you were really young. So when I was really young, my family was already religious. Both my parents are from religious families, but more of like a mainstream religious. So I grew up Baptist for most of my early life. My parents met through doing music and church. And so when I was growing up, they were always youth group leaders. They were worship team leaders. So a lot of our life revolved around church and religion. 
but it felt like a pretty normal thing being Baptist. You know, it's, we did things like I went to Awana's, you know, that was really fun. I love that. I had a lot of friends that went to Awana's. What is an Awana? Um, just a super fun, like youth group for kids. Gotcha. Yeah. Were you a pretty um, happy kid? I was. I remember being a pretty happy kid. My parents seemed to be pretty happy when I was young. I have really strong memories of that time in my life. My dad and I were really close. My mom and I were close. I'm the oldest of six, six kids. We were all pretty close in age. So there was a lot of other kids around, but I felt like I was pretty happy and pretty normal for the most part. I mean, my parents would fight occasionally and there was the usual family dramas, but for the most part, things were pretty chill. Um, we were homeschooled, but we weren't sheltered homeschooled. Like we were a part of homeschool groups and we did a lot of activities with other kids. We saw a lot of extended family a lot. We lived close to a lot of our extended family. So grandparents, cousins, we saw them a lot, which later on in my life story changed when we joined the cult. So looking back, I feel like I was a pretty happy kid with a pretty normal life. As far as families go, I feel like I had a pretty normal one to start out with. It's funny listening to you say that because it just makes me wonder, like, how do you go from a completely normal family to then joining a cult? Yeah, and I have always wondered that because because my memories were so distinctly happy from my childhood. It always made me wonder what what went wrong, like what happened. And now and as an adult, I can look back and I think, well, even though my memories are are more happy, I kind of wonder, you know, what was going on behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of? And how normal are my memories in comparison to other kids who had normal families who didn't join a cult? Does that make yeah. sense? No, that's that's a really solid fucking point. Like, what is the level of comparison for normal? Right. So for me, even though it was a happy memory at childhood, is it just that it was better than it was when we joined the cult? I've always asked myself that. <laughs> so, and I've never really gotten those answers. And I think that's something I may never really get an answer to. But along the way, I've kind of pieced along some answers that make more sense in my head and just looking at it from a different perspective as an adult now. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys end up finding this cult, joining this cult? When I was a small kid, my parents moved around a lot. My dad had a job that required him to go to different locations and different places and basically take a store and like a failing store and um, turn it over from the ground up, train employees, like make this failing store become a success. So we moved around a lot. And in the course of moving, I think I was about five, I would say, we moved to a very, very small town, like a very rural, very small town, about half an hour from a bigger town where my dad was working. And we joined a church there, like a regular Baptist church. My parents joined the worship team, all of that. And we started making friends with the local homeschool group. And in the course of making friends with the local homeschool group, I believe, my mother um, made some friends with another family who weren't Baptists, who didn't go to the same church, 
Um, They went to a different church, but they were in the homeschool group. And they really hit it off. And then they had some other friends, another family that they were friends with that my parents also hit it off with. So we started spending a lot of time with them. And they were also like large families. They had like six kids too. One of the other families had like eight kids. And they were very, I remember thinking they were just very crunchy people. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like all about like natural medicine, which I love natural medicine now, but I just remember as a kid hearing them talk about, oh, you know, you don't need to take your kid to the doctor, like use this instead, like use this random oil or this random like homeopathic pill and they'll be fine. I'll take them to the doctor. It's funny that even as like a small child, you recognized that. I am a very perceptive person. Even as a kid, I was a very perceptive person. I could meet people and immediately tell if I liked them or not, just kind of have an immediate scope for who they were. And my like inner danger alert was very high. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like yeah. I was very good at like picking that stuff out. And so when we started hanging out with these people, I liked their kids a lot. I got along with their kids really well. But there were things I started to notice even at that age that were just kind of alarming to me. An example would be uh, one of the families, the first time we went to their house and they had, I don't remember how many kids they had, they just had like a billion kids. But one of the teenagers was standing in like a corner of the room on this little square mat. And she was jumping up and down, just jumping, like doing jumping jacks. And she did it for like an hour while we were there. What the And then... I was like, that was really kind of weird, but it, it weirded me out, but I didn't have an answer for what was going on. And then the next time we went to their house, she was still on that little square in the corner, just on that mat. Like, but she was like kneeling this time and she had duct tape over her mouth. And in my head, I just freaked out. I was like, what is happening to this person? Like, I don't understand what is going on. It turns out she was being disciplined because her mother didn't like something she had done and turned out she didn't really like her as a person anyways. She was pretty rude to her most of the time. But every time I saw that kid, she was being punished like that. And she had like a little square. That was her space. She couldn't leave that space. And she was probably like, I want to say she was about 13, 14 at that time, maybe a little bit older. Oh God. Yeah. And so I started noticing things like that and I just got this really weird vibe from them. And my parents started taking parenting advice from them. Oh Lord. And prior to meeting these families, my parents were not, they were not super strict parents. I would say they were normal parents. And like, you know, if you did something naughty, you had a timeout or maybe got spanked, but punishment was not high on their list of things to do to us. And when they started hanging out with these folks, they started taking parenting advice from them and the punishment started kind of rolling in a little bit. And that was alarming for me looking back. Like (laughs) it's definitely one of the telltale signs for me right off the bat was they took a lot of parenting advice. That was not something I would ever do as a parent. Like what? Um, so for example, like one of my little brothers, they told my parents to blanket train him, which is they would take a small blanket and, And granted, he was like crawling age, like in kids who are crawling, like they want to get into everything and be everywhere. Right. And they would take this blanket and they would put him on this blanket. And if he got off the blanket, they would spank him and they would repeat this process until he learned that he was not allowed to be off the blanket. 
And it took days, weeks, and a lot of tears and a lot of crying from him. And to the point where he finally just, he would never leave that blanket, no matter where we went. When that blanket came out, he sat that blanket and he never left it. And I just remember thinking at that point in time in my life, like, that was so weird because toddlers love to explore and learn. And sure, they have to have boundaries, but that was just strange to me. Prior to this, were your parents spankers or into discipline? No, no, I don't remember them being that strict of a disciplinarian. Like I said, like I remember timeouts and like the occasional spanking, but nothing, nothing that was outside of what felt normal to me in comparison to other families that we had known. I can't even imagine just like the shift. Cause like, I think honestly, it's a conversation that comes up all the time. Like, the spanking, non-spanking, it's like you're never going to convert people who are non-spankers to be spankers. You're never going to convert people who are spankers to be non-spankers. Right. Like it's, it's not worth the battle, but I think this is kind of like that. Like Your parents weren't super psychotic about discipline, and then to just make this crazy shift because some random homeschool parents told them it was the thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in hindsight, like my memories of my dad are pretty strong. And my dad was always a very like happy go lucky kind of guy. Like the dad, like you looked forward to him coming home from work. Cause you knew he was going to like hang out with you and have fun. And he like coached baseball and I used to go with him to do that. And it was just, I remember him just being a really chill, mellow, fun person. And that changed pretty quickly after the whole meeting people from the cult thing. And I should say, my my mom was kind of the instigator of it. My mom was the one who met them, started hanging out with them, kind of drew my dad into it. And I I know that he was hesitant at first. And then he kind of got pulled into it. But I, I think that he got pulled into it because of my mom and not because he was personally inclined to believe those things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, when all this is happening... They're just hanging out. Your parents haven't joined their church or anything yet? Right. Okay. Just hanging out, taking a parenting advice. I guess kids are having play dates with them. And then when I was, let's see, seven, we moved to another town a little bit further away. And that is when we started like actually going to their church. At that time, to get to the church which was in the pastor's house, like out in the the middle of nowhere in the woods. We had to drive two hours, two and a half hours to get there. And so we would go stay the weekend at the pastor's house and go to church on Sunday with them. Oh God. And we were pretty isolated in this new town we were living in. We didn't have new friends there. We were homeschooled. We We didn't join the homeschool group. We didn't socialize as much as we used to. My parents tried going to one or two churches in this new place, and I remember hearing them talk about how they just didn't like it as much, and then that's when we started going. My mom wanted to go to the church with the people that she had met before, like the cold people. So we started going, and I remember my first memory of going to the pastor's house, and I should say, granted, this guy is not a ordained pastor. 
he never went to like a seminary school. Like he's not an ordained pastor. He's a former science teacher, like high school science teacher who just up and decided one day that he was going to be a pastor and people started listening to him. So he has no qualifications like you would see going to a regular church. That's crazy to me because I kind of associate Baptist with being extra strict, extra religious. And Mm -hmm. it seems crazy to me that people like your parents who were Baptists could then even like accept somebody who's like, I used to be a science teacher. You know, I got this down. Yeah. You know, Baptist church is very organized. You know, you have um, your pastor and your worship team, and you have people who have specific roles in the church. It's just, it's very straightforward and you know exactly what you're getting into as far as I remember. And there's an accountability level, I think, versus this church. It was like just a random gathering of people. And this pastor who just decided that all of a sudden one day he knew, he knew what God wanted and he was going to tell everyone. <laughs> and people started listening to him. <laughs> was this house big? Yes. Huge house. It was like a three-story house, huge. And they had this huge garage that also had like an apartment on it. It was huge. And so families would go up and stay the weekend and they would like schedule it out. Like, okay, this family and this family are going to go on this weekend and stay there for the weekend. And then we're all going to come up for church on Sunday. And so we'd like take rotating turns staying at his house, um, which is a whole thing in and of itself. But I remember our very first visit there. I think it was our first visit. At least it was my first memory of being there. I remember getting in there and everything was all set up in their living room. Like they set up chairs and there was a piano and we get in there and we're sitting there. And I remember kind of hearing a little bit of a commotion at the back door and wondering what was going on. Like, I didn't know hardly any of these people, just the two families that we had already met. And a guy walks in with his wrist handcuffed to another guy. What? Yes. And I remember immediately getting this like, oh, that man is a bad man feeling. <laughs> like at this point in time, I'm like eight years old. And I just immediately, he just looked like such a bad person. And I didn't know why he was handcuffed. It didn't make sense to me. And then the like church service proceeded and it seemed fairly normal. Like there was some music and then there was like a long sermon that I fell asleep during and it wasn't anything, you know, extraordinary, but I just kept remembering this, you know, this guy and he was just sitting there and he just kept watching everyone so strangely. And he never got unhandcuffed. He was handcuffed the whole time. And then we had like a meal after the service and he was still handcuffed. And then the person who had brought him left with him and took him and left and went away. And I, very vividly remember that. And, and I don't remember if my parents told me what happened or later on I found out about it, but come to find out that that man was a sex offender who had molested several children in the church. And he was still allowed to come to church as long as he was handcuffed to one of the men in the church. What the fuck? Okay, wait. So was he like, convicted by actual police or was it like the church found out because like i imagine if police were involved it would have been like no you can't be around any kids was this just like an internal investigation by the church and like okay he's a molester we'll keep him handcuffed you know i don't actually know man i wish i actually knew that answer because i want to say that i don't think he was actually convicted outside of the church, but I could be totally wrong. And I don't know for sure. So I'm just speculating on that, but 
That's if he was convicted outside shit. the church, then he was violating his parole by being there and violating his sex offender registry by being there. The fact that they just didn't even care about that and the fact that the kids that had been molested were literally in the same room as him. So his victims were right there in the room with him. So that was a trauma for them. That right there, it was a huge red flag for me. I knew immediately that this was not okay. Something was going on here that was just not okay. I literally feel like you could just end the story there and we would be like, holy shit, that was really <laughs> fucked up. Oh, Ace, it gets so much more interesting. <laughs> oh my God. We'd have to do like three podcasts to really cover it all. But, <laughs> but yeah, that was the start of it. So I think where I'm I'm struggling the most with all of this is the fact that like your parents are pretty normal seeming people and mm-hmm. your parents have six kids. Maybe at this time, there's probably not six of you, but you know, eventually no. they go on to have six kids and it's like, how could they get their mindset to be like, like to know, number one, there's a child molester in here and mm-hmm. we're going to bring our kids around him. The mm-hmm. being handcuffed to somebody else doesn't really make me feel that much better. No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> because like, you can feel when someone has ill intent, Mm -hmm. you can feel it. And having that presence in the room, you could feel it. I could feel it. I was eight years old. I could feel it. I could feel just his ill intent towards kids. And that was terrifying for me. So now for me being a parent, because I have small children, I, I literally can't fathom going into that scenario and learning that and then saying, oh yeah, this is great fit for us. Let's keep doing this. (laughs) Me now as a parent, I would freak out and I would get the hell out of there and we would never talk to those people again because my children come first and I'm going to protect them. And so now knowing that not only were all the adults in this scenario okay with this guy being there, but they were also okay with subjecting the children who had been his victims to a secondary trauma of seeing the person who brought the trauma to them on a regular basis. Like that's just, that's horrifying to me. That shows a level of callousness that is frightening to me. And that is where the whole cult mentality comes in because you have to have a level of callousness towards the way people are treated in order for this to work. I also want to point out the fact that because you are anonymous, people might, I think they might, but they might not fully pick up on the fact that you're fairly young. It's not like you're like 50 something years old and like you grew up in the 70s where all sorts of shit was happening, you know? Right. This is like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And one of the reasons why like, I'm definitely not giving any kind of identifying information is because I still live in the place where a lot of this happens. Um, I still see a lot of these people on a regular basis. And so <laughs> it's still happening. Oh, my God. I don't know to what degree some of the things that happened to me are happening. And I don't know what the dynamic is now for that church, if you can call it a church. but. I haven't been in there, let's see, since I was 16. So for a while. So I don't know what the dynamic is now, but 
some pretty horrible things happened when I was growing up and it happened in a community that had no idea it was happening. I mean, I tell people what I know now because I'll meet people and they'll be like, Oh, you're from here. I'm like, yeah, I'm from here. I'm like, we never met you. I'm like, well, because I was homeschooled and I was very sheltered away from the general community and they had no idea it was happening and it completely blows their mind. (laughs) Cause we're talking like there were people in this cult who were heavily involved in the community as well. Like they were teachers they were just people who had regular jobs out in the community and you would never know. And so that's your first, at least your first memory of this experience. And mm-hmm. were your parents just like in it from the get go? My mom was, I don't know how my dad felt about it. He seemed from my perspective to be more hesitant. Mm-hmm. But at this stage in our family life, things were starting to change. I look back and at that point in time, my parents had, there were five of us. And looking back, I'm pretty sure that my mother was having mental health problems. I'm pretty sure that there was a lot of postpartum issues that just weren't diagnosed and they started having relationship problems. And I think that for my dad, maybe joining this group of people was a way to keep his relationship with my mom Okay. because she latched on pretty hard. Like she just immediately latched on. And I later learned that she had kind of latched onto a similar group when she was in high school, when she was a teenager, that she kind of was prone towards groups of people who quote unquote had it figured out, had the answers and could tell her what to do in life. So she just like immediately latched on, but my dad was more hesitant, I believe. And honestly, no, if my dad ever fully latched onto it the way my mom did. Mm -hmm. He was more just like going with what she said. Yeah. And I mean, he definitely, you know, bought into it and like acted out a lot of things as a result, but my dad now is not involved in it anymore. Whereas my mom still is. She is. She is. And they divorced just recently. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Is just, I mean, we'll get to all of it, but like, is yeah. just, recently, <laughs> is just <laughs> when he left the church or did he leave earlier? It's been, I think, almost two years now. So he left the church and divorced her around like the same time? Uh, no, the divorce is very recent, like this last fall. So there was a period of time where they were still kind of together and then they just got divorced. So, okay, we're skipping ahead. So let's go back yeah. to <laughs> okay, go back. you at eight years old. Yes. Um, so I'm getting the warning sign, you know, the red flags are coming up. I'm like, this is not okay. Going back to me as a kid, I was a very strong personality child. I was very outspoken, very happy, very mischievous. And I was very smart. And when we started going to this church, I feel like I had a personality shift pretty quickly. I kind of went into this, this feels wrong. This feels unsafe. I need to protect myself mode. Mm -hmm. Because from that point on, I feel like I became a very introverted, very quiet person. And in hindsight, I realized that I was 
living in basically a fight or flight mode of trying to protect myself because there were kids around me who were being uh, sexually abused. There were kids around me who were being emotionally abused and physically abused. And I saw it and I witnessed it and I knew I had to protect myself. From that point on, I feel like a lot of my life was a little bit of a blur just in the sense that it's hard for me to remember specifics for a lot of that period of my life because I was just living in survival mode, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then when I was nine, we ended up moving to another town to be close to this church and be close to the people who were in this church because most of them lived in that town, which is where I live now. And at this point in time, there were Probably about, I want to say there was about 20 to 25 families in this church. So a fair amount of people, a lot of kids, and they were all pretty young kids. Like most of the kids were not teenagers yet. So we were pretty young still. And then there were a lot of random adults who were there as well, just who kind of like came in off the edges and got sucked into it. And I later found out that there were, <laughs> there was another guy who was involved in this church who was a former pastor who got kicked out of his church for molesting boys. And he found our church and just kind of latched onto it. So there were a lot of questionable people around us fairly often. <laughs> okay. Do you think that the church brought these people in and then told the other members of the church, like, yes, this person did these bad things, but like we're helping them, we're curing them. And that's why everyone was... 100%. Because okay. it was common knowledge. These were not secrets. Everyone knew about it. Like the guy who was a former pastor, all the boys in the church knew about it and they would make fun of him and tease him about it. It was like a running joke to them. Oh God. But... Then later on, some of the boys found pictures of themselves on his computer and it got pretty serious. But it was strange because like these are people that we were interacting with like on a daily basis. Like we were going over to their houses and like helping them do things around their house because we just had like a big sense of community. Like anytime someone needed something done, like we were there to help. We didn't just see them on Sunday. Like they were part of our lives. And so we all knew about it. There were no secrets. <laughs> That is so crazy to me that, I mean, I'm curious, like, what does a joke to a pedophile even look like? Like, <laughs> you've been tickling boys' penis. Like, that's that's not really a, a joke, you know? <laughs> no, like, but, like, like, they would just make fun of him and say things like, oh, you wish you could see me without my shirt on, you old man. And just things like that. And just, like, totally poke fun at him. And to me, that is just so bizarre so bizarre that not only would kids be allowed to be around someone who has that reputation and they know this about him, but that the kids are being taught that it's something that you just should make fun of because they are now a new person in this church. They're a new person and God loves them because they've repented. But I think that anyone who knows anything about sex offenders knows that there's no such thing as repentance <laughs> when you're a sex offender. Like you're still prone to doing those things and you can say I repented all you want and act like you're sorry for it. But if given the opportunity and not held 
to the consequences, it's probably going to happen again. And it did happen again for some kids. God, I can't even fathom like this situation. Like whenever someone talks, I try to like put myself in like in this example, I try to put myself in this community and Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine being in any sort of church group or anything where like, I know that there is a sex offender in there. Like, are there people who go to my church right now who could be sex offenders? Absolutely. But I don't openly know about it. Yeah. And if I did know about it, I don't think that I could just be comfortable with it. I mean, if it was an all adults only church and kids were never allowed on the campus, then maybe that's one thing, but like, no, I. Yeah. And and the kid to adult ratio in this church was very high. Like there were so many more kids than adults. So many, because most of them were had huge families. Like it was pretty normal for there to be families that had like anywhere from four to like eight kids. That's very normal. And we were all homeschooled. Not a single one of us went to public school. I think. It's literally a breeding ground. This is the number one place for a pedophile to go because especially if no one's going to public school or anything like that, then who are they supposed to tell? Like you only have your family members who are in this church and you have the people who are in this church. You're cut off completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're isolated. And so the things that you experience, you know, you're stuck either just internalizing it and not speaking about it to anyone Or if you did vocalize it, you were somehow complicit in it happening. So you're also a guilty party. And I experienced that. I was not sexually abused, but I was physically and emotionally abused. And I was sort of preyed upon by an older boy who eventually became my boyfriend. And maybe I'm going too far ahead, but we almost got married before I was 16 years old as well. Um, (laughs) yeah, yes. But this boy, he was a couple years older than me and we grew up together. And when I was 12 years old, he started doing things like groping me up in movie theaters when we all went to the movie together or cornering me in bathrooms or in garages or out in straw bales and people's property and just cornering me and feeling me up and just really pressuring me into sex. And when it came out, because he felt guilty and he told the pastor when it came out, guess who got in trouble? (laughs) Not him, me. It was somehow all my fault that he was the one doing this to me. I got in so much trouble, so much trouble. (laughs) It was very hypocritical. And so having experiences, there was no safe space to talk about these things at all. No one was safe, not even your parents who were supposed to be the safe people. I feel like this whole thing, or no, I'm not, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I want you to just keep going. (laughs) I'm just going to shut up. So yeah, we moved to be close to this church. We're all homeschooled. We're spending all of our time together. Like we don't have friends outside of these people. This is like our giant extended family. And they literally took it to that level because every adult in the church, you had to call them aunt or uncle. You didn't call them by their name or Mr. and Mrs. It was aunt and uncle. And it was definitely like a family dynamic because 
adults were allowed to punish other other adults' kids. And so if you are doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing, like any adult around you could punish you. And that could be anything from spanking you to putting you like on an extended grounding or giving you like Bible verses to write out for X amount of time. Like anybody could punish anybody's kid. Being a parent now, like having small children, I'm like, if any buddy is punishing my children except me, that's wrong. Like if their teacher needs to put them in time out because they're being unruly at school, like that's one thing. But if another adult in their life is overstepping their boundaries with them, that is not okay. And so as a kid, it felt like no one was safe because anyone could do anything they wanted to you. At this point, when you're this young, are you still seeing your other family? Yes. So we were still seeing our extended family. Both of my mom's family, my dad's family lived fairly close, like within a couple of hours. Um, We still saw my cousins very frequently. And at this point in time, my mom is trying to get them to come to our church. And that was one of the big components was that everyone who went to this church was always trying to get their family to come to this church as well. They wanted to grow it. And My extended family was like, fuck that. (laughs) Your church is weird. We're not going to your church. And eventually that caused a pretty big rift. And we did get cut off from our extended family. By the time I was 12, 13, we didn't talk to my dad's family at all, at all. No contact with them. And we still talked to my mom's family a little bit. But by the time I got into my late teens, that was pretty much cut off as well. So for a while, we did have that lifeline of normalcy, but it was definitely strained. My parents' families did not like this new religion that they had found and were very outspoken about it. I come from very outspoken families and my parents did not like that very much and eventually led to not talking to those extended family members. What exactly were the like teachings and beliefs of the church, if that's what you call it. Yeah, I know. I struggle with what to call it. I honestly didn't call it a cult until I went to college and I took a religious studies class and that focused on cults. And I remember the first day going into class and the professor covered like what the outline of what like qualifies something as a cult. And I just went through the list and I was like, oh, check, 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 check that oh, I grew up in a cult. <laughs> and until then, it, it hadn't occurred to me that, that what I experienced was so outside of normal. And now looking back in my early life, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, of course, like I grew up Baptist. And this was so different from that. It's hard to put a descriptor on it. And I was actually talking with a friend last night, preparing for this, like thinking about, okay, how would I describe their beliefs? And neither one of us could, a friend who grew up in it as well, um, neither one of us could really put like a defining name to it because they all came from different religious backgrounds. Like they were all previously religious. And so they kind of brought a smorgasbord of beliefs to the table and they kind of just picked and choose what worked for them. And it kind of just evolved, if that makes sense. I think that if they defined themselves, they would have called themselves Calvinists, which I don't know if you're familiar with Calvinism. Never heard of that before. Just think of like the Puritan days, like the Puritan Christian days, like how strict they were and 
a lot of the beliefs from that time period. They believed that, well, here's a good example. We were told growing up that we didn't deserve love, that all we deserved in life was death and punishment because we were inherently evil. Jesus um, Christ. They were teaching. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is like what the stuff that you would like go to like Sunday school, like with all your friends, and they'd be like, just so you know, love is not for you. You're just death and punishment. Yes. Yes. Um, we didn't have Sunday school. Like kids were in church with the adults at all times. Like early on, we had like a period of time where like an adult would take us like a small ones out and like teach us some Bible verses and songs. But like for the majority of the time, like we were all together, like group experience, all ages. But yes, that's what we were being told. Like, you know, when we got punished, it was, you know, you deserve this because you are inherently a sinful, bad person and only God can love you. And so for a lot of that time, we were not told, like, I didn't hear I love you very often as a kid during this period of time, which is another, like going back to my early childhood, my parents, especially my dad, were very loving, like very affectionate, very loving. And I have strong memories of that. But then during this cult period, like we were not told, I love you that was completely pushed to the side. And a lot of it had to do with the doctrine that they were teaching. And they just kind of adopted a lot of bits and pieces from other religions. Like, for example, when I was early preteen, they decided that women in the church weren't allowed to talk in church anymore or in Bible studies, and that they had to wear veils, wear head coverings. And so from that point on, I remember going to church every Sunday wearing a veil and not being allowed to talk. And if a woman had something that she wanted to say, she had to write it down and hand it to the nearest man closest to her, not even her husband, like whoever the closest man was. There was a lot of cherry picking from other religious beliefs and bringing it in. We had communion. They did communion. So we had that every Sunday. We used a lot of the old hymn books, like the very old hymn books, all of the old hymns that were just very dark and depressing. <laughs> and I'd say like the majority of what we were taught was very dark and depressing. It was a lot of doom. It was a lot of, you're a bad person. Nothing you can do can save you. Only God can save you. And they believed, I think they still believe that we are pre-chosen by God. So everyone who didn't go to this church, they were doomed to hell. <laughs> we were the only ones who were going to go to heaven because God had pre-chosen us. And that's a lot of pressure to grow up with as a kid. <laughs> you're going to heaven because you're pre-chosen, but also you're a bad person and God can unchoose you. And eventually I did get unchosen. I got excommunicated. So I am no longer one of God's chosen people. <laughs> Number one, it's all so confusing, but I'm also, I'm just so curious, like, what do you think your mom liked so much about this? Like, what appealed to her? I mean, it's hard to say exactly. I can speculate and I, I have speculated and I think that there was a lot of structure. There was a lot of order. It was a lot of community, a lot of uh, relationships being built. And I think that for my mom being a parent of six children 
and having mental health issues. I think that that was very appealing to her, having people who could tell her what to do in life, if that makes sense. Like, these are the answers. This is what you have to do to be a good person. And we're here to support you through it. And and this is the aspect of cult life that really comes through is that it was truly a community. If you needed something, they were there for you and vice versa. If a house needed remodeled, they would spend a weekend where everyone in the church would come and everybody was given a job from the youngest kid to the oldest adult. And they would literally remodel that house in a weekend. And in some ways, it kind of reminds me of things I've heard about like Amish communities, just how tight knit they are. And that was very much the case for this church. And I think that prior to finding that, my parents, my mom specifically, felt very alone in the world and just kind of adrift. And finding this place gave her a sense of purpose. Did your mom grow up at all like in an abusive home? Not that I'm aware of. I've been told that my grandfather was definitely a strict person, but, and I didn't know him very much growing up. He was sick for most of my childhood and I didn't get to know him very well, but my maternal grandmother was just an absolutely wonderful person. And my mom's siblings were all wonderful people and they were very much normal from my point of view. And my mom was kind of an anomaly and I'm to this day close with them when we talk about it and they are all still just, it's very hard for them. They don't understand what happened and how she got sucked into this because it's not completely in line with who she was as a person, as a teenager and a young adult. But that makes me wonder if they just didn't truly know her as well as they thought they did. And if, Maybe some of her mental health struggles were there and unacknowledged. Mm-hmm. In the the other interview that I did about cults and stuff, one of the things that she mm-hmm. talked about was it wasn't just like church on Sunday. Like it was church on Sunday and then they all met together on like Monday and then went like it just mm-hmm. every yes. day of their life. Yes. And that was the same for me as well. We had, you know, weekly Bible studies, like two or three nights a week. And then when I was about, I want to say I was about 10 or 11, they started a church school. And so then we were with everybody every day. Like we all went together to someone's house and had school and wore uniforms. And my parents were the teachers, some of the teachers, and it was a very tight knit. You spent a lot of time together. We did not have friends outside of this church. I didn't have friends outside of this church until I was a teenager. I had one close friend that I had known since I was a kid that I stayed in contact with over the years. Like we wrote each other letters, but she lived in another country, but she was my only friend outside of that church until I was a teenager. We literally did everything together. We would go on group camping trips. If you needed a babysitter, it was someone in the church. They did everything together all the time. My mom would take us grocery shopping with one of the other moms and other kids. They would like go together. We were with them all the time, (laughs) which was hard for me because I got bullied a lot by other kids in the church and being present for so much of their lives and seeing trauma happen and not having a way to process it and having my own trauma happening. That was hard. There was no escaping it. It was just constantly in your face. Do you feel like when you were little like do you feel like you knew 
how weird it was that you guys were kind of cut off from everybody and that you did everything with these people? Or when you're young, does it just feel normal and like... I've talked about this with a few of my siblings, and I think that most of my siblings grew up in this church from, from their very small age. And like I said, I was eight, almost nine years old when I really started going. So for me, I had a pretty good baseline to compare it to. Having that baseline of like, okay, we had gone to like a regular mainstream church. We had had regular friends. We had, um, you know, time with our extended family. Like I had a lot of things to compare it to. And my siblings don't like they grew up in it. So for them, it's very normal. And I definitely have memories that were fun. Like there were fun times, like when we went on the group camping trips, I had some friends in church who I did enjoy spending time with. And a couple of them, I'm still friends with them today because they left as well. And so now we're kind of each other's lifeline post cult. And so I have good memories but it's always tempered by the trauma that happened as well. Are any of your siblings still in the cult? One. Okay. I have one sibling who still is. I was scared you were going to say all of them. (laughs) No, no, I just have one. And I am pretty close with some of my younger siblings. And my dad and I are working on our relationship and we have a relationship now since he has left that I very much appreciate. We don't talk about most of the things that happens. We kind of have like silently agreed to just let it rest and just focus on our relationship now and his role as a grandparent in my kid's life. I know someday we're probably going to have to hash it out. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to it. (laughs) But I do have a relationship with him. I do have a relationship with most of my siblings. Is the sibling who's still in a male? Yes. Okay. That's not shocking. Yeah. One, guys are stupid. But two, in things like this, like men are just treated so completely different. Like they're raised up on a pedestal. So usually, yes. But I do have a but to that. Even though women were treated in the church on the exterior as though they didn't matter, the whole like wearing of veils and that sort of thing, and it was definitely patriarchal in us in that sense, women kind of pulled the strings behind the scenes at the same time. Okay. For example, there were women in the church who their husbands got excommunicated and they went on to marry younger guys in the church. And looking at their stories, I'm like, okay, they definitely got their husbands kicked out on purpose. Like they were tired of being with their husbands and they got them kicked out on purpose. (laughs) Like, and like, like false accusations of like sex abuse in their kids and like false accusations of like kidnapping when they were going through a divorce and all kinds of stuff that were not true. And they definitely got their husbands kicked out on purpose. I'm pretty sure. Holy shit. Like, how much younger are we talking? Some of them were like a 10 to 15, 20 year gap. My God. Significantly younger. Like, <laughs> guys that me and my friends, when we were preteens, we were like, oh my God, he is so hot. Like, we wish we were his age because he was in his 20s. And yeah, now they're married to some of the older women. 
and have babies with them. <laughs> it's not funny, like, if you actually know these people and, like, to know that these husbands, like, had lies told about them. But if I'm being honest, that's kind of my favorite part of this whole story. So It's far. kind of funny, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Walk me through what other things were happening. As I got to be, like, preteen things started getting more intense. They started like experimenting with doctrine and beliefs and behaviors. And I'm talking like things like one week it was a pastor would say, Oh, TV is evil. Don't let your kids watch TV. And everyone would like get rid of their TVs. And then like a couple weeks later, they'd be like, Oh, well, but you should be watching like this religious program. And so we'd be like, Oh, let's get our TVs back. And It was just a constant, like, you never knew what to anticipate religiously because they were constantly changing their beliefs. At one point in time, like, everything was, like, psychology-based. They would start reading Carl Jung and all these other psychologists, and everyone was suddenly a psychologist in our group, and everyone was getting psychoanalyzed by each other, and you talked like that. And I, I look back at my journals from that period of time because I kept, like, a very detailed journal all throughout this time, and I'm like... I was saying things that most like 11 year olds don't even understand about psychology, talking about our ego and our shadows and our animas and all these things that are like Carl Jung and a whole psychology world that I was being exposed to. And I had no idea like what they were talking about, but we were being psychoanalyzed all the time. And then on the other side of it, being fed all this religious bullshit about how we were evil and didn't deserve love. And so everyone was just really fucking depressed. (laughs) Like it just felt gloomy and depressing all the time. When you would do school, do you feel like you learned all of the subjects or do you feel like there was a lot left out because it would contradict with your church? Yeah. So my religion, or I'm sorry, my religion, my education was a little bit different than the other kids. I think because My parents had a college education and my parents were, and they actually went back to school. They went back to college when I was 11 years old. And up till that time, I had been traditionally homeschooled where you have state testing every couple of years and you have to meet these qualifications for the state testing. Otherwise they're like, okay, you're falling behind. You need to go to public school. We were following state regulations basically for homeschooling. Because of the state regulations, I was being taught all of the subjects, like science, everything, like everything was being covered. When I hit about 11 and things started getting more intense with the cult and my parents went back to school, I basically stopped being educated. I didn't have an education from that point on, except for what I gave myself. Because when my parents went back to school, I was at home with five younger siblings and I was the nanny. I literally took care of my five younger siblings, including an infant on my own every day while they were at school. I was cooking. I was cleaning. I was teaching them how to read and write. I was up at night with my teething baby sibling. I was basically the substitute mom while my parents were in school. And so from that point on, any education I had was self-taught. I went to the library and I would get books and I read. I was a succubus for reading. I read everything I get my hands on. So I didn't have much supervision from my parents in terms to what I was reading. So I was 
reading everything I get my hands on. And it kind of was another lifeline for me because I was able to see a world outside of what we were experiencing through reading. And I learned a lot that way. But at the same time, I wasn't learning math. I wasn't learning science. I wasn't learning the basics that you need to survive in school. And that really hurt me later on because I started taking college classes when I was 16 and it was a complete disaster because I can tell you about psychology, but I couldn't tell you how to do a basic math equation. I want to ask you, and I feel like this is kind of coming out of left field, but the reason that I'm asking it is because of, I did the interview breaking Amish with Shane and one of the topics that we kind of talked about was like, you know, he basically just worked for his parents. Like I, there was not a whole lot of like love and you had kind of said, you know, your parents stopped giving you affection and stuff like that when you got mm-hmm. in this cult. Do you feel like that just completely fucked with your head? Like you were having to take care of all your siblings, which I'm the youngest of six. So like, I can't fathom taking care of siblings. It was just kind of forced upon you at a young age. And it felt like to me, it sounds like it would feel like, I don't, I don't, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, I do. And you know, the dynamic of not being told that you're loved and then being forced to take so much responsibility as a child, a young child. I mean, I was 11 years old and you know, I, I know 11 year olds now that I'm like, I would never, ever, 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 ever leave my infant with an 11 year old. I didn't know CPR. <laughs> what if something had happened to my sibling? What if they had choked and I couldn't do anything about it? And, you know, we still had landlines then. I didn't have a cell phone. I couldn't get directly a hold of my parents. You know, we were completely on our own. That has deeply affected me as an adult. It's definitely made me a helicopter parent. There's very few people I trust my kids with. And teenage babysitters, like, no, forget about it. There, no, teenagers are not watching my children. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, just because I've been there and I know how terrifying that is to have that responsibility. But as an adult, it's, it's also made it really hard for me to trust people. It's made it really hard for me to have relationships with people, like even basic friendships. I didn't have many friendships growing up. There were a few that I still have today that are long-term relationships that they're closer to me than my own family. So I call them my family for that reason. But, you know, I was bullied by a lot of the kids in this church and you couldn't trust anyone. I couldn't trust anyone because if you told anyone your secrets, they would tell an adult or tell the pastor and everyone would know your secrets. I was constantly getting betrayed and hurt and being hurt by my own family. I mean, I was being routinely, they call it spanked, but I was routinely being beaten up until the time I was like 13, 14 years old because I was one of the rebellious kids in the church because I didn't just buy into it. I was very obstinate. I was very outspoken about not really buying into what they were selling. And I definitely um, received a lot of punishment for that. And that's affected me as an adult because 
I have a really, really hard time trusting other adults and friends specifically, like forming friendships. I have a hard time believing that the people in my life genuinely like me and that they genuinely know who I am and appreciate who I am. It's a daily battle for me. Even being married, I'm married and uh, it's something I struggle with with my spouse. Like I ask myself all the time, I'm like, how can he actually understand who I am? And he, how can he actually love me for who I am? Because I don't love myself. Can I ask you, and I don't know, I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but I'm just so curious, how does a, you know, you had talked about how you were kind of rebellious and you weren't really buying into this. And I, if you think about a lot of kids at age 10, 11, 12, 13, they're really easily influenced. And I'm Mm -hmm. so curious, like, how did you manage to like, I think honestly, if I'm being real, like, I think that I'm someone who I stand up for what I believe in, but if you'd beat the shit out of me one time, I'd be like, yeah, never mind. I'm good. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. There's something about myself that just doesn't take bullshit. (laughs) I'm still like that as an adult. I'm very outspoken about things like social justice and it's hard because it's a very conflicting thing for me because on one hand, I have a lot of mental health issues. Like I struggle with depression, anxiety, and I was recently diagnosed with having complex PTSD, which is very common for ex-cult members. And so on one hand, I have all these struggles. And on the other hand, I'm also a really fucking resilient person because even since the cult, I've been through abusive long-term emotional relationships. I have been through the ringer since then. And somehow... I have been super fucking resilient and I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about me that has protected me over the years, but it's definitely something that kicks in and protects me. So as a kid, I look back through my journals through this time and and there were times when I definitely like spouted off the stuff that I was being taught, but I look at it. And even at that time, 11, 12 years old, like writing my journal, I didn't believe it. I was spouting it off, but I didn't believe it. And, you know, even prior to the cold, I was that way. Like, I remember being five years old and telling my mom that I was going to accept Jesus into my heart, which just made her cry and made her so happy because that's what you did as a young Baptist kid. Like, you accepted Jesus into your heart and you got baptized and it was a huge deal. And I actively remember at five years old, being like, yeah, no, I'm fucking lying about that, but it makes my mom happy. So I'm just going to do it. But I didn't believe it. Like deep down to my heart, I was just like, yeah, no, that's not a real thing. (laughs) And so going through this whole cult experience, like going through trauma, I still had that mindset of, okay, like sometimes I'll play the part, but for the most part, this is bullshit. Um, I'm going to do what I have to do to protect myself and play the part to some degree, but I know this is bullshit. Does that make sense? It does. And it makes me wonder how many adults who were around you were feeling that same thing. Like, yes, I've wondered that too, because like 
if I as a kid felt that way, how could you as an adult who's like, and most of these people have been to college, like they were educated. Like my parents, smart people, smart, smart people. Like my dad was involved in politics as a young adult and just so smart. I'm like, how can you go from being this incredibly educated, smart, intellectual person to being a cult member? And I feel like there has to be something in each person, like in the back of their head, they have to know that it's wrong. They have to. But there's this mob mentality that happens when you join a cult. And it makes you do things. I saw people do things. I saw my parents do things that they would not have done on their own. But there's a mob mentality to it and you get sucked into it. And it's so hard to explain. If they're having these moments where they're just like, okay, I'm not really buying into it and I'm not really believing the things that I'm preaching. Do you think that then they have the thought process of like, is this a religion or is this a cult? They definitely treated it like a religion. It was not a cult to them. Like they genuinely believe that it was a church and it was the true church and all of their churches had it wrong. And a lot of those adults are still there and they still seem to believe it. And, and it seems like having talked to other people who have left this church, that maybe the dynamics have changed a little bit since then. And it is more along the lines of like a regular mainstream church. But when I was growing up, that's not how it was. And, you know, an example of that is you couldn't just go to the church. Like most churches, like you would know, you can see a church on the side of the road on Sunday and say, oh, I think I'm going to go to that church today. And you can walk in and people are going to be like, hey, how's it going? And like be super accepting and welcoming. And it's not weird that you're just randomly going to this church, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do that with this church. You had to be groomed into this church. You couldn't just show up at this church on a Sunday and walk in and everyone be excited and inviting. No, they specifically selected and groomed people that they thought would be a good fit for this church. And then that makes me curious about like, so... With someone like your mom, who is, she's a member of the church and Mm -hmm. she believes in the church. Do you think that when she's reaching out to people saying that you should come to this church, do you think that she knows that there is a weakness in them that makes them a right fit? Or do you think she just thinks this church can help them? It's hard to say because like all I can say is based on what I, what I witnessed, you know, but I feel like from watching it happen, there was like a process to it. Like they would meet a family or a person and be like, okay, we like this person. We like this family. They would spend time getting to know them. For example, there was a family who someone in the church met them and they lived out of town. For the next year, families from our church would go and visit them and get to know them. And wouldn't invite them to church with us. Just get to know them. And like there were some elders in our, like they called them the elders. They're like the main guys in the group. They would go and spend a weekend with them as well. And they get to know them. And then eventually those people would come and visit us and come to our church. And then most of the time they would end up moving here and starting to go to church with us. So it was like a long process that like, they groomed them for it. Yeah. This might be a dumb question because I don't really have a whole lot of knowledge of cults, but like, what is the motive 
behind creating an environment like this? Like, is the main guy in charge? Like, is he sucking everyone dry of their finances or is it? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we were, you know, just an example, like when I was 15, I started working a job and at 15 years old, I was expected to give like 20% of my paycheck to this guy. What? (laughs) Yes. Like we tithed. It was definitely a thing. And like my parents' home was owned by someone in the church and they were buying it from them. And I think that's one of the reasons why my parents were, or my dad was in it for so long was like, they were financially attached. If someone wanted to refinance their house or remodel a room in their house, like they would borrow money from people in the church. Like they were all financially tied in together. It's like a giant family. And they took that family concept like a little bit further, even like after I was gone, one of my siblings went and lived with one of the other families because the men in the church decided that she had a toxic relationship with my parents and she was taken and placed with another family. And she literally spent most of her teen years living with that family. And that was normal. That was normal. Like, there was a house that a couple of the single older guys lived in and randomly boys from different families who were considered to be having behavior problems or whatever would be taken to live with those guys for a while. Could you imagine someone telling you what you need to be doing with your own child? Not like, and I'm not talking like (laughs) yes comes in and is like, Hey, this is a dangerous environment, but like, Someone in your house comes to you and says, hey, your relationship with your daughter is toxic. We're going to take her out and move her in with this family. Like, I would, no. No, no, over my dead body. That would never happen for my my kids, ever. They're my children. They need to be with me. But that was how I grew up. Like, everything about our lives was subject to scrutiny and involvement from everyone else. I We were allowed to make decisions unless it was like a group decision. Like you talked to the pastor, you had weekly counseling sessions with him where you would talk about the decisions you were going to make and he would give you direction on how to take those, you know, decisions. And then like, maybe you'd have an elder who was like in charge of your family who would like literally do like things like go through your finances with you and make financial decisions and parenting decisions. Like they were so involved in every single aspect of our life. I couldn't even ask my parents about simple things like going to have a play date with a friend without it being some kind of big group discussion. (laughs) Oh, I need to tell you something because (laughs) this is so stupid. (laughs) I'm really emotional about the part that you had. (laughs) I hate myself. Um, About the part that you had a job at 15 and you had to give 20. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad because first of all, I didn't want to have a job. I didn't want to go work a job. Like, I mean, there was part of me who wanted to, like, because I wanted to have some of my own money. But, like, I went to work a job because my parents were poor and I had to help contribute towards our finances. Like, I was, at 15 years old, I was paying rent to my parents. I've literally cried to my wife when I see people, like, really young kids working at Taco Bell. And she's like, they want to work. And I'm like, but I don't. Like, I don't, it's, it makes me really emotional when I see young people working and I, yeah. and I'm a Christian, like I believe in tithing, but like you weren't tithing to like an actual church. You were tithing for this guy no. to like, you know, put money in his pocket. And it's just, yes, it makes me, 
I don't know why, but I'm very emotional about the fact that you were busting your ass at 15, which is, I, I mean, I know that you can work at 15, but I don't like the idea of kids working at 15. And if, I don't either. Mike, I don't want my kids to be working at 15, honestly. Like that's what they should be focused on education. I was working like 30 to 40 hours a week at a restaurant busing tables and I was walking to work because my parents didn't let me have a car and drive. Like I didn't get my driver's license until I was 24 years old because I wasn't allowed to have my driver's license when I was a kid. They taught me how to drive, but they didn't let me get my driver's license. And then by the time that I was gone, which is a whole other part of the story, I couldn't get my driver's license. I didn't have the resources and the money or the time. And so like so many things about that just really hindered me and my success as an adult, which I still became a successful adult, but it was very slow. I shouldn't have been working at 15. I should have been in high school and I wasn't. You definitely shouldn't have been giving 20% to this asshole. (laughs) (laughs) How do you eventually get to a point where you leave the church? So my teen years were really rough. Right at the beginning of my teen years, like I said, there was that boy that was kind of sexually grooming me. And when that shit hit the fan, when my parents found out because he told everybody because he was feeling guilty about it and he told everybody, I spent almost a year of my life, I think, at that point in time, they took away everything from me. I had like two sets of clothes that I wore. I had like my Sunday clothes and my weekly clothes. That was all I wore. Like a dress with like long tights and a sweater and it was like fucking summer. It was hot and it was the worst outfit ever because they needed me to be modest and they needed me to be controlled, my sexuality controlled. Even though I was freaking like 12 years old, I didn't have sexuality. I was just being preyed on by an older boy. (laughs) How much older than you was he? He was two years older than me, almost three years older than me. Yeah. So he was in that like puberty phase, like where boys are starting to like, you know, want to mess around and I did like, yeah, all the things. And I did like him, like, but also I look back and I'm like, he was one of like five boys that I knew who were a little bit older than me. So like, inevitably I was going to want like one of them because when you're 11 years old, you have a crush on someone, right? Well, Um, I think too, like at 11, 12 years old, you, your version of liking someone is a lot different than what his intentions probably were. Oh, yes, very much so. Because, like, I know 11-year-olds now, and I'm like, they tell me about how they have a crush. And I'm like, oh, that's so cute. Like, their version of a crush is like, oh, my gosh, he talked to me. And we sat next to each other at lunch. And it's, like, super sweet and innocent. And that was not what was happening to me at all. This boy would write me these long sexual letters and oh God, like what is a, I, what is a 14 year old writing in a sexual letter oh it's all kinds of gross stuff just like talking about my body and talking about what he wants to do to my body and just and i'm i'm so pre-teen how, years old I, I haven't even hit puberty yet like i'm about to hit puberty i don't know anything about sex because my parents we or we did not talk about sex i didn't even know what a period was when i had my first period i thought i was dying because oh i didn't know what a period was Sorry if that's TMI, but like, I didn't know what a period was. 
my mom walked in and handed me a pad, told me that I had to use them for the rest of my life. And that was it. Like I had no idea. And then there, here's this boy projecting his sexual fantasies on me. And how do you think that he knew what the hell he was even saying? Like, where was his knowledge coming from? Exactly. Like, I don't know because he definitely didn't have a sex education either. None of us did. Like our sex education was sex is wrong until you're married. It's sinful. Don't even think about touching each other. If you do, you have to get married. And that's what eventually happened with us. I'm preteen. He starts preying on me. I bought into it because I was like, all right, he's cute. I have a crush on him a little bit. Like, it's fine. And so I just kind of went along with it. But I was so uncomfortable. And then when shit hit the fan and he told people, told the pastor, it all came down on me. And I was the one who was sexualizing everything, you know, like just by being female somehow it was my fault. And in addition to having to wear just those two sets of clothing, I had to spend months writing out Bible verses. That's all I did. I sat and I wrote Bible verses when I wasn't taking care of my siblings. <laughs> like I could probably not now, but for a couple of years afterwards, probably could have recited for heart, like several whole chapters of the Bible to you just from sitting and writing them down. God. That was my punishment. We weren't allowed to be around each other or talk. Um, that was his punishment. But he got a notebook and started writing these letters to me in this notebook and would hide in places where I would find it, like a Bible study or church. And for a while, we exchanged these secret letters. And I was pretty passive about it. Like I'd write to him a little bit but he was really aggressive about it. And it was very dark and very sexual. Looking back at it, he definitely had mental health issues that were coming through. Um, He was being physically abused as well, and that was coming through. So it was pretty dark and deep and heavy for someone who was 12, 13 years old. And that continued for quite a while until we were finally allowed to talk again when I was 15 years old. And then we were allowed to date. And when we started dating, there was immediately a pressure that we were going to get married. And that was going to be a normal thing for a 15-year-old, almost 16-year-old to get married. And by the time I turned 16, we were engaged. And definitely being pressured into sex and Things I wasn't, I don't think under normal circumstances, I would have agreed to. So yeah, for like three years of my teenage life, that's what it was. I was being punished for being a bad, evil woman (laughs) and giving someone else sexual fantasies and then suddenly being engaged to him. There is seriously so much more to this story. And we actually had to do this interview over two different calls because the first time she had to go pick up her kids, you know, life happens. People don't have all day to spend with me. Um, 
And so we haven't even finished the first call yet. If that gives you any idea of how much more is still to come. And also, I would like to apologize for always crying over young adults having jobs. Uh, I worked when I was younger. Like, it's not like I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I don't know what it is. Probably something I should go to therapy for, but it just hits a nerve with me and gets me every single time. So I'm sorry that you had to hear it again. And I'm sorry to all the responsible young adults. I don't, like, I don't mean to make you feel bad. I'm proud of you for working. They're, I don't know. Just makes makes this fat guy cry, I guess. Oh, anyways, final thing. I really just want to thank you guys for listening. I feel like I don't say that enough. I mean, I say it at the end of every single episode, but, you know, really say it. It really does mean so much to me to see you all getting excited for new episodes and being here and being supportive. Like I really appreciate all of you. And I just, I hope that you know that I put a lot of effort into this podcast and it, it it feels good to know that it's appreciated by you guys and to know that you guys want to see it do well it, it it all it all just means a lot to me and i'm just being a drama queen so yeah thank you guys for listening i will see all of you next week everybody has a secret <laughs>